Is 2022 going to be the biggest year in gaming for acquisitions? Is it already? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Making Fun Snowcast. My name is Casey Johnson, and alongside me... As always, is my favorite snow day buddy, my lifelong friend, my favorite homeowner at Ravy Baby TV, Raven Stab Miller. Raven, uh, I never thought I would ask you this question in public, but how many inches do you have right now? <laughs> I, well, um, uh, you see, if I had to guess, probably about six inches in both in, in both uh, cases of the word. Ah. Meetings of the word there. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. But it's been snowing nonstop since 9 a.m. I have had the fortunate ability to not have to step foot outside of my house all day. Yeah. Um, I just discovered that my window is broken, uh, as, as you were privy to listen to before we started recording. So that was interesting. But that's that's about all of the outside world I've had pretty much all day. Mm. So, I'm, and I'm good for it. There, uh, I mean, yeah. we're recording um, right now. It's 5.22 p.m. on Thursday, yeah. and it is actively blizzarding still. Um, so I, uh, thankfully for us, it's just like a light, it's like a light to medium snow. It's like not like I could go walk around outside and be in pleasant snow. Yeah. 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 I think we're at about probably at about six as well. I think we'll be at about eight by the time this is all over because Mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes, uh, at least according to my weather apps, it is still just starting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We, I mean, it says it's going to snow solid until about midnight at about half an inch an hour or so. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and judging by the radar, yeah, we are still pretty much directly in the middle of it. So, definitely going to be um, a lot of fun. You've got to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow as well. How many places are still going to be closed and... Mm -hmm. I had a client email us today saying that they needed um, somebody set up on a computer on Monday. And I'm like, do you expect anybody to be in the office between now and Monday? Yeah. (laughs) Nobody's there. Uh, But yeah, it's crazy. The worst part is that um, Emily and I just got a house. And the one thing that we don't have is a snow shovel. And I realized that just now. Um, So we're going to be stuck in here a little bit longer than most other people. And the other worst part, because you haven't been out here yet, um, my driveway is probably 150 feet long. Yeah. So it's not like the mo- the longest driveway in the world, but still, I have to snow shovel all of that, um, which will not be fun. Not anyway, at Zoom posting all. aside. Yeah. Um, so, Raven, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about what I have been playing Ooh, um, because we are going to save what you have been playing <laughs> yeah. report. Uh, it, there are rumors that has been for over 40 hours. Um, <laughs> Allegedly put an entire work weekend to this game in the last seven days. Um, allegedly. Allegedly can't confirm. Uh, we're going <laughs> to save that until later because it's sort of going to be, uh, I would say one of the main two blocks of this particular show. Um, and 
they're two pretty significant blocks, so I would say uh, I'll go ahead and get past what I've been playing. Uh, I've been continuing to play Need for Speed Payback. I've officially gotten farther in that game than any of my previous attempts in that oh, game. Nice. Uh, things are going pretty well, and I'm starting to get really tired of it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it. I, I, I lamented last week on the show that I was happy that we had a little bit of a story, and that's still true. Um, but also, there have been certain points where I was like, I can care about the fact that you and your racing crew are like trying to get back at the the people who like the like the 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 racing team the mm-hmm. whatever that did the thing to you but like when it's like now you're entering this league called the Aces and Eights and mm-hmm. they're the they're the best off-road racers on the independent circuit I'm like okay I and then when when you enter every circuit, they have their own little quest line, which is just like five to six races. And it's mm-hmm. always like, who are you trying to enter our turf? And it's like, I've won 25 races in the yeah. last few days. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, word they, they about us would have gotten sure. around. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of like, all right, yeah, it's something to do. And also, none of the missions, like, leave the map, and so the map is starting to get, like, really cluttered, and I, there's no, it doesn't really differentiate the icons between what you have done and what you haven't yet, mm-hmm. so sometimes I, I'm thinking it's a new race, and I start it, and I'm like, this is the same race that I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I started up Sable. I played like 20 minutes of it and I immediately was like, I think I would rather wait and experience this with Nia once we get done with Miles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's heavy and again, 20 minutes, right? But heavy yeah. Breath of the Wild vibes, but Ooh, not in the way of like all of the things that I hate about Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's only like an eight to ten hour game, so. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just—it's one of those things where it's you sprint, and it's got the little meter next to you that also is your stamina meter for climbing, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Um. Right. Mostly, however, I've been playing Miles, and again. It, yeah, I, I did state this on last week's episode, and it remains true. In many, many ways, Spider-Man Miles Morales is better than sp- the, the Spider-Man PS4. Um, the inclusion of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man app that controls all of your side stuff is just an absolutely wonderful addition, and the way that they handle crimes as a result of that is just tremendous, as opposed to, like, swinging around a district, like, waiting for a crime to happen, constantly pinging so Mm -hmm. that you can, you know, get all five of your whatever. Um, Yeah. it's, It's really streamlined, and I like the little, where it's got the little activities... And then it's also got the larger missions. It kind of reminds yeah. me of a much, much improved version of 
kind of what happened in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where if you remember in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, there would be um, like little stuff that happened that was just like fetch quest. And then there would be like the bigger side story stuff. But it was kind of difficult to tell them apart. And I would like spend three or four hours constantly trying to clear out a specific district without mm-hmm. realizing that those smaller ones just keep spawning and you're never mm-hmm. going to get rid of all of them. Um, I feel like this is a really good improved take on that and other games have done yeah. it too. Yeah. Um, the, the moment to moment gameplay is far superior and the story's just not as good. Um, yeah. it's a fine story, but in particular, I think that especially coming off the two of them back to back, the Roxxon corporation. Now the underground is awesome. I love those enemy types. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they've got some really cool, interesting stuff that they do, but yeah, the underground is just half of the equation and the rocks on enemies are like, they're basically just reskinned sable people from the first game in a yeah. lot of ways. And it just is not as exciting besides yeah. the fact that in the comics, the tinkerer, is a gentleman named Phineas Mason. Mm -hmm. And in Miles Morales, after like three or four missions, you reunite with your childhood best friend, Finn. Mason. Oh, Oh, I had no idea. And I didn't know who the thinker was. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And while that's cool, when you first meet Finn, you haven't learned who the tinkerer is in the game yet. And so if you are, if you even have, you know, this cursory knowledge of, of the, the different comics and like, Oh, you know, this is because you get these kind of breakdowns when these games are coming out. This is the miles Morales story. Apparently he's taking on the tinkerer. This is what the tinkerer is in the comics. You know, those previews. Yeah. And it's like, who who will the tinkerer be here? What will they do with it? And it's like, oh my god, it's my best friend, Finn Mason. And it's kind of like a, well, dang it. Mm-hmm. Where it, it, it reminds me a lot of when Arkham Knight came out. And mm-hmm. this whole time it was like, who is the Arkham Knight? And everybody who knows anything about comics is thinking like, Surely the Arkham Knight, they're not just going to do the under the red hood thing where the person under the red hood was Jason Todd. And then they basically just did it exactly, mm-hmm. except they renamed him the Arkham Knight. Um, so in that respect, it's this. And obviously this is my second time through the game, but I can see them telegraphing the story more so this time around. Mm-hmm. And... Even like Nia, who knows nothing about comics and except for the movies that she's watched and did not see my first playthrough of the game because I mostly played it while she was um, asleep. Of course, I played Mm -hmm. this game for the first time while we had COVID uh, a year and a half ago and right when it came out. And Mm -hmm. um, 
even she's like, oh, so like Finn's for sure the tinkerer, right? And I'm like, who knows? Emily and I both did it, right? It's, I, I think there's a beauty in not trying to hide it either. I, I think it's interesting because it's not being like, oh, it's not trying to build up. Like, it's trying to build up a suspense. Yeah. But I I kind of like it whenever it's just like, oh, who could it be? Like, your pinky on the edge of your mouth. Like, <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of it's just kind of fun. Right? And, and it's it's, like, oh, it's kind it's, of reminiscent of the in the first game when it's like, who is putting together all of these supervillains? And like, you're waiting for Peter to figure it out. But you're like. Obviously, it's your mentor, Doctor Otto Octavius. Like, right, right, and, and you know, I even I know who Doc Ock is. I don't know pretty much any of the other villains going into it, but I'm like, I know who Doc Ock is, and I'm playing it. I'm like, oh, he's gonna be bad, and then like, he's not for ninety five percent of the game. You're like, oh shit, maybe like in the sequel he will be, and then he ends up going bad. I was like, whoa, they they had led me on just long enough for me to not stop thinking he was the bad guy, and then yeah. he was. And that Which I to thought me, was a really interesting way to do it. Yeah, that to me represents what is missing in this game to just a little bit of an extent. Like, if you had written the story where the underground is popping up and nobody who knows who their leader is and it's a nameless, mm-hmm. faceless leader that nobody ever sees and mm. then over the course of time you start to hint a little bit that it's Finn, hint a little bit that it's Finn, hint a little bit that it's Finn, and you see that. Because in the first game, Otto Octavius was a perfect example of, like, literally, I mean, like, a Shakespearean tragic character, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, he had freaking, like, he had cystic fibrosis, and he was trying to make all of, like, these arms because in a few years he wasn't going to have control of his motor functions, And Norman Osborn, who is a bona fide evil person, keeps shutting him down because of a personal vendetta between the two. And he legitimately goes insane with Mm -hmm. with the story of Finn in Miles Morales. It's more so along the lines of, well, you know what? Like, I get why she's doing it. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's very much like you're just along for the ride in the typical superhero story, whereas I feel like Spider-Man PS4 was so good because it sort of subverted all of everything that you expected at Mm -hmm. that time because it really telegraphed hard that um, it was Martin Lee who was controlling the demons but you were so focused on that you didn't see this other story building over on the side. So mm-hmm. um, in that respect, I think that it's been fine. I, I also sort of wish, and there's only, I don't know, bringing his uncle Aaron Davis into this particular story as sort of a mentor figure who, you know, as it winds up, is working for the enemy, and that's the classic, you know. Like, yeah. I don't know that this was the right time to bring that in, especially coming off of, I believe, even the previous year or perhaps before that. But nevertheless, very much the way that the general public... um 
was introduced to Miles Morales is um, a couple of years before that when Into the Spider-Verse was released. Mm-hmm. And they told, like, the same story with his Uncle Aaron. Yeah. And so it's, <clears throat> I mean, when you when you feel like you see how a story is going to end from, like, three hours or so into the game, it, it, it's very difficult for you to legitimately be on the edge of your seat Right. When it's like, okay, I can kind of plot this out in my head and see how this one is is going to go. Right. I couldn't guess the exact end, but you know, you're given enough clues to be like, oh, this is the bad guy, this is the other bad guy, these are the bad people, like these are all of your oppositions. Yeah. Um but but there was something nice too in like and that's kind of why I like side quests in games like that. There's really an interesting like a super bland plot that I don't have to keep track of. It lets me get invested in the world more and in yeah. a weird sort of way. Right. Um, Cause I don't have to keep someone like, okay, so this character is doing this, 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 and this, which relates to my character because of this, but also to these other characters, right. It's like this whole web, um, which I do like getting lost in sometimes, but that's not what the game is supposed to be. It doesn't need yeah. this giant complex, political drama aspect to it it can be as simple as oh your friend is bad guy your uncle is bad guy yeah you is good guy go beat them have fun gg like and, and it's just like the simplicities in the gameplay you know yeah no for sure i mean it, it's a fine game um it even like coming out of the the dlcs for spider-man which were to me sort of uninspired um, I find that like there was this really cool through line in the first story where this old grizzled cop calls you in and he like asks for your help and he's investigating or he investigated like 20, 25 years ago, the original black hat, uh, black cat, not Felicia Hardy, but actually her dad, Walter Hardy. Mm-hmm. And it's like. He left all of these um, paintings that he stole somewhere around the city and nobody can find them. And I'm like, okay, Officer Rick, I'll I'll go figure that out for you. And I collect mm-hmm. all of the art and I return it back to him. And he is like, yeah, you know, I can't let this case go before I retire. And eventually I like go back to the police officers and I was like, hey, I'm looking for Officer Rick. And they're like... Um, who? And turns out the old cop was actually Walter Hardy. (laughs) Yeah. And like that was, to me, it's all about, even if you know a reveal is coming, it's all about how you replace, how you place the reveal. Yeah. And at certain points, this game has sort of told me through its writing yeah, we know that you know what's coming, let's get to it. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like the first game didn't do to an extent. Nevertheless, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Um, there's just not that same, oh my god, I need to get back to this. Yeah. Um, I do, I am proud to report, however, that the, um, the, the, like, the sounds that you have to go around getting um, all mm-hmm. throughout the map, they were easier on me the second time around. 
because yeah. I kind of it only took me about 30 minutes this time because I like I remember I kind of remembered like which sounds I was looking for. Yeah. Still way too precise and kind of annoying, but yeah. Nevertheless, it was it was a little bit better on me this time. I don't know. I've had my fun with it, but I'm uh, ready to kind of wrap up the story here soon and uh, and move on to probably I'll have just enough time to do Sable with Nia before uh, Horizon Forbidden West comes out. And then that that comes out this month, man. Yeah, that comes out at like in a little less than two weeks. I, I, I thought it was the 28th again. I'm that's crazy. I believe it's the 18th now or the 17th. Oh. oh wow, that'll be a fun weekend for sure. That game's gonna be so good. The 18th, yeah. I you know it's funny whenever somebody brings up February all the time, it's like oh, any date that I hear in February, I'm like okay, it was the 20 28th, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the only thing that sticks out to me in February. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's what's different about February. <laughs> right. And so I always remember that one. Yeah. No, I just remembered it because that's when Legends Arceus came out, and I just thought they were exactly one month apart. That's that's fair as well. Um, well, Raven, let's get into a little bit of news here. Um, yeah. So before we get to our bigger story, I do just want to say one thing. Uh, in the realm of another story, uh, this is uh, from Mike Minotti over at Venture Beat from uh, yesterday. Nintendo Switch sales have officially passed 100 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nintendo revealed during its latest financial report that lifetime sales for Switch are at 103.54 million as of December 31st. Not only does this pass the 100 million milestone, but it also beats the Wii at 101.63. Mm-hmm. Um, man, good, good for them, you know? Yeah. Like, and right. you know, Game Boy is like up next because nin- according to Nintendo's official numbers, it sold 118.69. Um, and that is between the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. So they mm-hmm. can probably break that by the end of this year or next year. There's still no successor in sight. Uh, no. Part of me wonders if they're gunning for the um, the DS numbers, which are at like 154. Maybe. It's also just possible that they just want to keep up their personal cycle, right? Because it's been about five years. Um but they released the Switch probably two or three years into the release of the PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. Um, so if we start hearing anything, you know, it might be next year, year after that, that we actually get a new console. But there was rumors of the Nintendo NX for years leading up to its release. So we've heard nothing so far. Yeah. And, and really, you know, the, the thing is, too, we've heard the Switch Pro stuff. Yeah. Which Every ended up. it's come out. Yeah. And that basically all of those rumors ended up leading to um, the OLED model. However, with that being said, I postulated at the time, I think that somewhere, because 90% of the rumors that we hear are true in some form. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that somebody are it was hearing multiple reports from the OLED to the Switch 2 and sort of getting the two confused at certain points. 
Um, and I think some of those numbers that we heard probably were leaks of the Switch 2. We just never quite saw it. But again, and this is what I was going to get to, if you're Nintendo at this point, what need exactly do you have to pivot from this platform? Mm-hmm. Like, N- Nintendo has never been about hardware power, really, you know? I mean, even all the way back to the Sega Genesis with Sega does what Nintendo don't, like, yeah. it kind of, it's always been very much about the games and about the system for them and about mm-hmm. whatever gimmick they're pushing at the time, which, gimmick, reminder, not a bad word. Yeah. Um So... If you're them, why do you pivot right now or even within the next few years? Like everything is still selling right off the shelves and there's no real need to try to mass market and produce a new console until we're out of this chip shortage. Yeah, that's the other main thing. There's no point to try and throw your hat in to try to get parts that are already so low scarcity because we know... That Nintendo is the only company that makes a profit on their game consoles. Yeah. It is a widespread known thing, um, which is why in, in run one of our show, right, we talked about it a little bit, where the, the rumors for the Nintendo Switch were going to be that it was about $250. Um, because typically, because Microsoft and Sony eat a couple, like a uh, about up to a hundred dollars on per console sale. Yeah, because they know they'll make it back on the games that are sold on it. In theory, but Nintendo is just like, no, I'm just going to make twenty bucks on each one. Um, and so parts are so expensive right now. There's no point of them going, okay, well, I'm going to sell my next console for an extra hundred dollars because that's how much extra it's costing me per chip that I need. So yeah, there, there is no point for them to go into it right now. Is basically what I'm getting at. Yep. Uh, nevertheless, congratulations to Nintendo on, um, would you say it's the best recovery in gaming history? It's between, quite possible. Be- between platforms. I-, I mean, I can't think of a bigger failure than the Vita. Uh, or not the, the Vita, the, well... Maybe, maybe the <laughs> I bet that you said it. Yeah, a little Freudian slip there, you know? <laughs> uh, but I can't think of... I mean, really, though, the Vita would be the only competitor for me in this, but the Vita is right. also completely a secondary console. In terms right. of so, flagships, I can't think of a worse um, out-of-the-gate and a worse failure than the Wii U and a bigger success than the Switch, like... No, I, wow. I don't think there is. Yeah, I, I think that they did a really good job figuring out what needed done, and they did it. And here we are. So I've had I've had my Switch, my Switch since launch day, and the only reason I want to replace... And I want to get a second one, because mine's falling apart. My kickstand is completely shot, and it doesn't stay closed, and it drives me crazy. Um, and also, I only get, like, two hours of battery left. You know, I... And th- this is interesting because really and truly there are so many ways to use this newfangled fancy Nintendo Switch. I don't mm-hmm. know that I've ever used the kickstand one time no. in the history of my having it. Uh, I, I've used it a couple of times. Um, there was one time in uh, my 
freshman year of college or my sophomore year of college, I took it to work because I was working in a remote location that day and there was, mm. and I knew that nobody was going to be in there cause it was kind of snowing. Um, and so I just kind of sat there with my switch and there was a total of one person I had to talk to for my six hours. I was there, I think. Mm. And that was like the day after it launched. So I just played uh, no more heroes, which was like one of the three games that was out on the switch at launch. No more here or not. No more heroes. Um, Oh god, what was that game called? Zelda Breath of the Wild. Well, yeah, and then there was Bomberman R. Has been Heroes, I think is what it was. Has been Heroes, that does sound about right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the Switch has been great. I've loved every second that I've had it. Um, enough to want to purchase a second one. So. Yeah, for sure. Good on you, Nintendo. Good job. I'm a fan for life, uh, hopefully. Well, now that we spent 10 minutes on that small story, let's let's get on to our biggest story of the day. Now, Raven, there is a massive disclaimer that I need to give before this story that is important for all of the people who are going to hear about this and potentially overreact. Very few words, but a very big message. Acquisitions come in many forms, which is a huge portion of what we're going to talk about because we talked a lot last time about Microsoft and Activision Blizzard and the obvious implications of that acquisition. Yeah. And a lot of what we're going to talk about with what we're about to talk about follows very opposite logic. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, Raven settle in because I've got a lot of stuff to read here because Mm. there's so, there's so much good wording in this. Direct from the PlayStation blog, a post by Jim Ryan, president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment. Bungie is joining PlayStation. Now, Raven, before I get to Bungie joining PlayStation, for those that don't know, give us a little bit of context as to Bungie and what they do and their history. So, Bungie uh, was... The original developers or partial developers of the Halo franchise. Uh, I believe that they worked on Halo 3 pretty extensively. That's where I remember seeing their name. Uh, 343 hasn't always worked on it. In fact, uh, Bungie, I used to believe, was... And I'm looking this up now because I could be incorrect. Um, But I believe that Bungie used to be owned by Xbox... Oh, yes. No. Yeah. So they used to be owned by Xbox and then later got acquired by Activision, at which point they no longer started producing Halo. Uh, Under Activision's lead, they made Destiny, uh, which was met with some moderate success, and Destiny 2, which has been a lot more successful for them uh, under Activision's rule. Um Last year, or the year before, because COVID has made timelines really wonky, and I don't remember which one it was, uh, Bungie got out of their contract with Activision and went out on their own. Uh, 
they were their own independent studio mm. um, developing Destiny 2 without having to worry about what Activision was wanting them to do to monetize it. And now they're they're getting acquired by PlayStation. In, indeed they are. So it's Sony. Uh, to, for, for, uh, to, mostly. Yeah. Very important uh, distinction there. Um, so yeah. Two, so yeah, bullet points, Microsoft acquires Bungie in 2000, and mm-hmm. they are the developers of Halo, um, and then in 2007, they split from Microsoft and become independent. They sign a 10-year publishing deal with Activision in April 2010, so not, yeah. an, uh, not an acquisition, but a, an exclusive publishing deal. Um, which is important in the story because the fact that Bungie is independent has been extremely important to them. Mm -hmm. Um, They have never wanted another corporate overlord telling them what to do. Nevertheless, um, the Bungie has been for the past generation uh, with Destiny and Beyond, I would say actively in bed with PlayStation. Um, and do, that's due in no small part to the fact that I think there's still some bad blood there between them and Xbox with the way that things went down. Um, and they kind of call it what it is. They got back at Xbox by giving all the exclusive stuff to PlayStation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now, as of January 31st, 2022, Bungie is joining PlayStation, says Jim Ryan. Today, I'm happy to announce Bungie will be joining the PlayStation family. First off, I want to be very clear to the community that Bungie will remain an independent and multi-platform studio and publisher. As such, we believe it makes sense for it to sit alongside the PlayStation Studios organization, and we are incredibly excited about the opportunities for synergies and collaboration between the two world-class groups. I've spent a lot of time with Pete Parsons, Jason Jones, and the Bungie management team to develop the right relationships, where they will be fully backed and supported by Sony Interactive Entertainment and enabled to do what they do best, build incredible worlds that captivate millions of people. Bungie's world-class expertise in multi-platform development and live game services will help us deliver on our vision of expanding PlayStation to hundreds of millions of gamers. Bungie is a great innovator and has developed incredible proprietary tools that will help PlayStation Studios achieve new heights under Herman Hulse leadership. This is... There's so many specific words... In that alone, Raven, Mm -hmm. that are important. Mm -hmm. So, let's kind of take this moment by moment here. Today I'm happy to announce Bungie will be joining the PlayStation family. First off, Mm -hmm. I want to make it very clear, I I want to be very clear to the community that Bungie will remain an independent and multi-platform studio and publisher. So, in comes... The first question that everybody has about this acquisition, which Mm -hmm. I was very loud last week about saying, I don't spend that kind of money to buy Activision if I don't intend to make Call of Duty 
exclusive. Mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, the same logic does not apply to this acquisition. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason is because we have to look at Bungie as an asset rather than as a commodity. Mm-hmm. As an asset rather than a commodity. And in the next sentence, he goes along to say, as such, we believe it makes sense for it to sit alongside the PlayStation Studios organization, and we are incredibly excited about the opportunities for synergies and collaboration between these two world-class groups. The word Mm -hmm. Raven alongside, Mm -hmm. how important is that one word right there? So extremely important. Um, It it, it really changes the entire feeling of what they're going on and saying, right? Because it's not the acquisition of Bungie is going to be working for us. It's going to be we are going to be supporting Bungie and what they do. Exactly. In my opinion. And and the, the question that we're going to be talking about here is, and this is a, this is a very important question that we have to ask. What does each side gain from this deal? And it's, it's the same thing that we had to ask ourselves in a roundabout way last week, right? So, so to come back, Activision Blizzard is acquired by Microsoft. What does each portion of, of, of this world get? Right. Mm-hmm. So there, Microsoft is gaining IP and it's gaining studios. Mm-hmm. And Activision Blizzard is gaining a springboard to get out of a very tough situation. Mm-hmm. In this case, PlayStation does not need the studios and it does not need the IP. PlayStation is huge into their corporate vision is building their own IP. So the question we ask ourselves as we continue with this statement, what does each side get from this deal? I've spent a lot of time with Pete Parsons, Jason Jones, and the Bungie management team to develop the right relationships where they will be fully backed and supported by Sony Interactive Entertainment and enabled to do what they build best. Build incredible worlds that captivate millions of people. So right there, that's what Bungie is getting from the deal, is more or less a sugar daddy. Yeah. PlayStation is helping them, giving them a springboard to that next step in becoming a huge gaming publisher that really can support itself. Because game publishing, and especially game developing, 
no matter how successful you are, it's tenuous at best. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. all go away in a moment. I mean, we saw that to a certain extent with CD Projekt Red not too long ago with Cyberpunk. Before release day of Cyberpunk 2077, CD Projekt Red had the most, potentially the most, sterling reputation in the games industry. They could do no wrong. Then mm-hmm. Cyberpunk happened, and that is not the case anymore. No. They are a shell of what they used to be. So, being able to say that they are working within Sony and working with within the channels of Sony mm-hmm. is... It, it allows you to make bolder hires. It allows you to pay better wages. It mm-hmm. allows you to do so much being able to... You know, I was, I was watching this TikTok clip today of a, a Shark Tank deal where Kevin Hart bought this comic book company on Shark Tank. And they were wanting him to buy in for like 10%. And he was wanting to buy in for 30%. And they said, well, you know, we don't we don't necessarily want to do that. We want to maintain our independence. We just, you know, we, we want a beneficiary. And Kevin Hart said, but listen, you got to understand, which, by the way, watching Kevin Hart be serious was a different experience. Um, but nevertheless, he's like, all of these things that you're looking to expand to, and that you're looking to do are my wheelhouse. You guys want mm-hmm. to get better with publishing and graphic design and art and all of this stuff to take you to the next level. Give me 30% and that allows you to draw on my resources and to work within a machine that's already rolling. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing here. So especially considering the fact that they still get to publish on whatever platforms they want. Easily, Raven, this is sort of a no-brainer for Bungie, especially to the tune of $3.6 billion. Right. They basically said, hey, do you need money? And Bungie's like, what's the catch? And I think the catch is that they're going to make a first-party game for Sony. I think that is a thing that is going to happen. Um, because notably here, um, I, I want to bring it to uh, the last line that you might have said here, uh, build incredible worlds that captivate millions of people. Yep. They've already built a world that captivates millions of people, right? They already have Destiny and Destiny 2 that see pretty widespread, or Destiny 2 nowadays sees widespread success in what it's doing. Um, but I think what's happening is that Sony has gone, hey, do you want to make a first-party game for us? You could keep publishing it on everything else, but we want one game, and we'll pay you $4 billion for it. Or one game, or like two games, or whatever. Yeah. You just have to... We just give you... You just... Yeah. Yeah. And... I I, I think that's what's going on behind the scenes. Not only that, because I, I bet that there is some sort of an exclusive IP in this deal, but... This next paragraph, to me, gets into the meat and potatoes of it. Bungie's world-class expertise in multi-platform development and live service games will help us, Sony Interactive Entertainment, deliver on Mm. our 
Sony Interactive Entertainment's vision of expanding PlayStation to hundreds of millions of gamers. Bungie is a great innovator and has huge words here, Raven. Developed incredible proprietary tools that will help PlayStation Studios achieve new heights under Herman Hulse leadership. Now, in a... Um, In an interview that Jim Ryan did shortly after this acquisition, he said that a lot of what they want out of this deal is not IP, is not games, and... Really, it comes down to technology. He said in this um, in this interview with uh, GamesIndustry.biz, he said the first thing to say unequivocally is that Benji will say an independent multi-platform studio and publisher. Pete and I have spoken about many things over recent months, and that was one of the first. And actually easiest and most straightforward conclusions that we reached together. Again, Bungie's independence means everything to them for the last 15 years. Extremely, it says, everybody wants the extremely large Destiny 2 community, whatever platform they're on, to be able to enjoy their Destiny 2 experiences. And that approach will apply to future Bungie releases. That is unequivocal. Bungie will operate autonomously within the SIE organization, and they will continue to publish on other platforms. We get the importance of this. We have grown studios organically, but we've also made a number of acquisitions over the years, whether it's Naughty Dog, Guerrilla Games, Sucker Punch Productions, and most recently Insomniac. We understand how important it is to give these organizations the space and independence whilst bolstering that with great support when and where that's needed. He continues. All right. Pete and I have spent a lot of time talking and we were struck by how similarly we see the world and just how complementary our two organizations are. We're like two pieces of a jigsaw that can slot together. They make massive immersive games that have no end, whereas PlayStation's strength, as you know, is in the single-player narrative-rich stories. Our studios make those games and they're some of the best games you'll find anywhere. I've been on record talking about increasing the size of the PlayStation community and expanding beyond our historic console heartland. This can take many forms, and definitely one of the main ones is the ability for the wonderful games we've been making over the past 25 years to be enjoyed in different places and played in different ways. We're starting to go multi-platform. You've seen that. We have an aggressive roadmap with live services, and the opportunity to work with and particularly learn from the brilliant and talented people from Bungie, that is going to considerably accelerate the journey we find ourselves on. Here's the money quote. Philosophically, this isn't about pulling things into the PlayStation world. This is about building huge and wonderful new worlds together. And Raven, there's a lot in that quote. Mm -hmm. But particularly as the next couple of days have happened, yesterday it broke on Polygon via Michael McWhirter, Sony, with Bungie's help, 
is planning to launch more than 10 live service games by 2026. And Ten? yeah. So Hiroki Totoki, the, the CFO of, of, of Sony, um, and the executive deputy president said the strategic significance of this acquisition lies in not only obtaining the highly successful destiny franchise, as well as major new IP that Bungie is currently developing bingo, but also in incorporating into Sony group, the expertise and technologies that Bungie has developed the live in the live service game space. We intend to utilize these strengths when developing game IP at PlayStation Studios as we expand into the live game services area. Raven, a lot of what they are doing for Sony is kind of like a consultation deal. Mm-hmm. And that, now, they're almost certainly as... um. Totoki said there, as well as major new IP that Bungie is currently developing, to me, that's the exclusive. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, this is bigger than a lot of people would think. Because Sony has always had these multiplayer offshoots to their single player games that have been really good, but Sony doesn't have the infrastructure or even the knowledge in a lot of ways to really get it to where it needs to be as a live service platform. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima Legends is one, right? That was within Ghost of Tsushima, and a lot of people really, really enjoyed that, but it was within Ghost of Tsushima. Last of Us, Factions, right? Uncharted multiplayer. They're all things that have been tacked on. But as it is stated here, through close collaboration between Bungie and PlayStation Studios, we aim to launch more than 10 live service games by the fiscal year, ending March 31st, 2026. So what is trying to happen here is more so... PlayStation's got a lot of projects on the table, probably even a solid portion, maybe a third of the way through development, that are ready to go, that are live service games, which, by the way, is the part of the market that Sony is missing right now, in some form, Mm. and that's not their specialty, so they brought somebody onto the team whose specialty it is, and... Sony PlayStation Studios is going to develop this stuff and then Bungie's going to polish it and help them get it out the door. Mm-hmm. Why not hire somebody, you know, if you're a sports team, right? You might have your coach, you might have your GM, but like for instance, Larry Bird has been working with the Pacers for a long time just in a consultant role. If you have somebody like Larry Bird, why why would you not get his knowledge? Mm-hmm. And if you have somebody, the opportunity to have somebody like Bungie to support them, to fundle them money, and you say, hey, just give us one exclusive IP, whatever you're working on right now, go ahead and do that. And then 
just help us make sure that we can get these games out the door because they've had like Destruction All-Stars, right? Destruction All-Stars was a little bit of a disaster. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that had nothing to do with the game. The game was fun, but it was the infrastructure that Sony was unable to build around it because they don't have that expertise. Right. Bungie does. And now they're on the team. Oh yeah. No, it it makes sense. Um, Bungie has a very particular skill that they, that Sony needed. And they just were like, yeah, you want $4 billion. And I, I would do anything for about $4 billion. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) but yeah i I think it's gonna be really interesting to see i i am worried games as a service you know don't always aren't my favorite thing in the world um i am an adult with a full-time job um by the time that i get around to playing a game i play a game for three or four hours which this sounds hypocritical because i still play a lot of pokemon masters but that's a mobile game I can carve out 20 minutes of my day to do my dailies and then just close out of it. Um, I tried downloading other mobile games and they wanted my dailies to last like upwards of an hour. And I'm like, no, I can't play this game for an hour today. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I'm worried about with these games that are coming up. Um, because a lot of players, myself included, find it hard to just like, especially if it's a like free to play, like, oh, I'll play it every once in a while. Uh, but there are a lot of players like me who are just like, I have to play every day to maximize yeah. what's given to me. And if I don't, then it feels like I I shouldn't even try. You know, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel kind of shadow dropped a couple of weeks ago, and I've wanted to play it. Uh, the main reason I haven't downloaded it is because I don't have internet. Um, but now That'll because... That'll get you. Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh, I could download it on my laptop at work and play it at home. But it's like, I know the the daily quests in that game require you to win three matches or something. And those games can take upwards of 30 minutes. And I'm like, at that point, if I'm playing for an hour and a half, like, I, I get home by 6 and I have to make dinner. It's like 8 o'clock and it's like, I don't want to stress out and have to sweat and play Yu-Gi-Oh for an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Um, all of this to say, I am concerned, but I do think that overall this is an interesting acquisition, an interesting partnership, and I'm very interested to see where it goes. And to me, that's the beauty of this partnership between these two very specific companies is because when the follow, you know, I don't think Spider-Man two or Wolverine or whatever the follow up is to horizon forbidden West or the next uncharted or last of us part three or ghost of Tsushima two, or if they release another infamous game, ratchet, I don't think any of those are going to be live service games. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Jim Ryan said in that interview. They make massive immersive games that have no end. Whereas PlayStation strength, as you know, is in the single player narrative rich stories. That's not going away. They said our studios make those games and they're some of the best games you'll find anywhere but they want to go multi-platform and in this case multi-platform does not mean that last of us three is going to release on xbox what they mean by multi-platform is seamless links between your phone your computer and your playstation 5 that that's what they're talking about playing 
mm-hmm. on actual, literal, like multiple platforms and bringing their business elsewhere. This to me reads of we know what our strengths are. We know what our limits are and what our weaknesses are. And we are looking to help alleviate those weaknesses as much as possible. And at the same time, and I am going to uh, use nomenclature that I have not used, but at the same time, they want to save Bungie. Now, the reason that I said they want to save Bungie is I read a report today I'm having issues finding it at the moment, but about 1.3 billion, about a third ish, mm-hmm. 40% or so of that money that they spent is going to go towards making is going to go towards employment, employment and employees and essentially making sure that employees stay at Bungie. And making them not leave for greener pastures. Mm-hmm. So that again is the question of, well, what does Bungie get from the deal? Well, you get to keep the team together. Right. You, you get to continue to be a company. Congratulations. Yeah. And that's not to say that Bungie would have crumbled. But there's right. something to be said for a successful team. There, you know, there's a reason that... Once you get a successful core in sports, you try to build around that three or four players is because once you find something that works, you need that periphery talent. Now they're making sure that the core doesn't go away again. Like I said, allows them to make more aggressive hires and pay better wages. Mm -hmm. So, and not only that too, the question, and for me, even if there is no exclusive IP here, mm-hmm. which there's a possibility that there's not, I think that there is, but even if there isn't, I think that this still makes a lot of sense for that particular price tag because Sony, at least Jim Ryan makes it sound like, listen, we got a bunch of ideas for live service games on the table. We just know that we can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And, if they can like bring stuff like that to the forefront, um, I mean, reportedly there's a new twisted metal game that's happening. That's supposed to be released sometime around next year. There's a multiplayer follow-up for the last of us part two that naughty dog is actively working on. Um, and then you've got Jade Raymond's studio, which who knows what they're doing. Um, also worth noting, I, I had completely forgotten about this, but there is, um, you remember deviation games, the guys that left Treyarch and now they work uh, and now they're a first party studio for, um, for Sony. Mm-hmm. They're for sure working on something that is going to be in that realm. So yeah. to me, even if you don't get an IP from it, that still is going to work out perfect. Honestly, what I would do is I would make destiny Two free. And I mean like fully free mm-hmm. on the play because it's free to play right now, but then you got to buy the expansions on stuff. Screw yeah. It. It's 
make yeah. that free on PlayStation. Yeah. And brand it as I saw Greg Miller from Kind of Funny said, "Hey, make Dreams and uh, Destiny Two completely free and brand them as pack-in titles." Like, yeah, that that's a way that they could go with this. That again makes it work. But the craziest part to me, this is from Monday, is um, the uh, the same guy Christopher Dring over at GamesIndustry.biz who did the interview with Jim Ryan tweeted and said this deal was in the works via Jim Ryan for the past five or six months. It was not a reaction to the Microsoft deal. And he says, as Jim Ryan told me, and this is a direct quote, we should expect more in terms of further PlayStation acquisitions. And rumors have been flying for the past little bit here that there are a lot of deals that are in the late stages of happening. Mm -hmm. Especially between Sony and Microsoft. I don't see Nintendo buying Ubisoft. Right, but, I think Nintendo's just hanging out. They have no reason to buy something else. All, and, the, and again, all the games that they've released recently have been... Back to what games. we talked about. Why do you switch course if you're those two? You're playing a completely different yeah. game. Yeah. You're playing Mario. Everybody else is playing... Uh, Call of uh, Duty and Destiny. <laughs> everybody else is playing uh, Political Warfare. That, that's what they're up to. Yeah, and pretty much. Like, it's like there's no point for them to jump into it. So like, if they're in dire straits, maybe, but yeah, and they're not, they have such, they have a much more, it's kind of weird to say, but Nintendo out of the big three has the most name recognition by like a country mile to yeah. the most important demographic, which is not gamers. Yep. I, I think that's really important to mention because they were the first one and it's like people who don't play games, like want to play animal crossing and that's on Nintendo. It's like, it's really hard to convince somebody who doesn't play games to like their first game that you want to jump to. It's like, it takes two maybe, but outside of that, there's Overcooked, not really, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it, there's not a lot of good games. But it's like Stardew Valley is the next best comparison in my opinion. And even then, as much as I think that game is one of the best games of our time, there are problems with it that aren't immediately expressed. Um, I'll go on a quick change about this real quick, but uh, for instance, you have a shipping bin, which is where you sell all of your crops and everything. I have seen multiple people just put their items into it, thinking it's a chest, not realizing that it's a shipping bin. Yeah. Um, all of this is to say, like, there are some issues with explaining what to do, um, which that Nintendo Polish really gives you, right? You, you Minecraft, same deal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Minecraft is more about the exploration and figuring out what to do, too. Um, but yeah. It's like you have Minecraft and then you have Nintendo with Animal Crossing are the big ones. And, mm. and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you got to you got to advertise to your market. And what a lot of people don't understand is your market is not you. If you already have a console, you are not the market they are advertising to. Yeah. You no longer matter. You are already in the ecosystem. You are already going to buy games for it. And if you don't, hey, whatever. That's a that's like a. Yeah. Loss. And and, like and loss. yeah, that's exactly the point, too, is that. Well, like, why am 
uh, why are they advertising to why aren't they advertising to me? I already own a PS5. Cool. They lost 150 bucks on that. Mm-hmm. Like they all of their sales are from getting people in the door and then subsequently all of those people buying The Last of Us Part 2, all of those people buying Horizon Forbidden West. Not to mention their yeah. cut on other stuff. Yeah. So, Raven, the question that I have to ask for you at this point is, is this going to be the biggest year in the history of gaming for acquisitions? And one uh, question 1A here, is it already? Uh, already, I think it is. I... I, I, even if not the most acquisitions happening this year, it is the most monumental year of acquisitions, I think. Um, just because Microsoft acquiring Activision is like the biggest thing that has happened in gaming in years, right? Like in literal years. It is the biggest piece of news that's happened in a long time. I mean, since industry. Bethesda. Yeah. And even before then, even then it was like, a, oh, hey, they acquired it. Like, maybe we won't be able to play games. But, like, this one has a lot of ramifications about what is and isn't possible by developers. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that's really the big thing that we got to watch out for. Um, but, yeah, I think this is going, this is and can, will continue to be the largest game, year of acquisitions. And I think that next year we're going to see some finalizing of some more acquisitions that are being discussed now. But... Yeah, I mean, acquisitions are important in gaming. Um, And in particular, you acquired Pokemon Legends Arceus. Um, Yeah, I I sure did. Segway. Yeah, yeah. Pew, pew, pew. Um, (laughs) So you you put 43 hours in. That is is unfortunately correct, yes. Um, Talk to me. So when I say that it's unfortunately correct, it is because I don't want to recognize that I put 43 hours into this in the span of uh, right. six days. Um, five and a half, technically. I was pretty sick last week when it came out. Uh, recovered pretty quick, though, thankfully. Uh, yeah, I. this is – it is phenomenal in every sense. I have been unable to put it down while I've been playing it. Um you start off in the funniest way ever in that you are from the future and the god of Pokemon is just like, hey, LOL, I need you to go back in time. LOL. And then just throws you into this. <laughs> and yeah, that's literally what happens. It's just like, oh, hey, you, just, you're, you are now in this ancient region of Hisui. And I am just having so much fun. I don't think this is going to be the future of Pokemon like everybody is saying slash hoping for. I, I don't know if Pokemon will replace their traditional game with this, but I would be shocked if this wasn't something that they had alongside. Like, yeah, like we had Sword and Shield, and then we had Legends Arceus. Like, we'll have the next game, and then a different spinoff. But then, like, maybe in like five years, we'll have the next Legend Arceus, which is like uh, somebody said online that they want the Unova region, which is based around um, North America. Um, they want to have that, but a, a, a whole old historical version of that, but you're in the Wild West. And I think mm. that would be a lot of fun. Um, 
but regardless of that, the core gameplay loop is a lot of fun. Um, while you're like just playing through the story, it never feels too tedious all at all times. Um, you feel like you're in control outside of battling, which I'll get into in a second, but everything is just presented to you pretty clearly. The story is really engaging. Um, there's just a lot going on that I think does everything right. Hmm. Um, I Pokemon catching is seamless. You have a reason to catch Pokemon. Um, you know, I, I, I have an entire living Dex, which for those of you who don't know means that I have one, one of every single Pokemon. Um, outside of like two from Sword and Shield, that outside of Zarud in particular, which is a whole other thing I can get into, but um, I so I don't have a reason to catch Pokemon that aren't new to me, right? Legends Arceus goes, oh well, you have to because you're making the Pokedex. You have to know what they do, so you have to catch them. And part of what you have to do is just catch like twenty of them or whatever, and it gives you a reason to go out and do that and to like explore with the game. Um, I will say it's a bit disappointing that it's not as deep as Breath of the Wild is. Um, we're seeing people find stuff in Breath of the Wild that's still crazy to this day. Um, like, just with how the physics engine interacts with different items and how the... Um, how different enemies interact with different items and stuff. We're still finding stuff about it, about that game out to this day that people just haven't learned about. Uh, there's nothing... I don't think there's going to be any depth like that. At, at its core, po Pokemon Legends Arceus is a collectathon, but I have had fun the entire time. Uh, the graphic fidelity of it, while not amazing, has not impacted my fun of the game. Imagine at that. All since playing. Yeah. Um, it, it's just been fun. And, like, if you, are, if you don't want to buy it because you don't like how it looks, that is totally fine. I get it. It's not the prettiest game in the world, but it is one of the most fun games I've played in a long, long time. Um, yeah. Um, what, what questions do you got for me, Casey? So I can, I, I've, I, I've been racking my brain this week, Raven Stab Miller. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with, a, you know, a, a question that doesn't suck. Because <laughs> for the people who are listening to this, I think inevitably... If they've ever picked up a Pokemon game, they have more information than I do. So I don't right. think that they really want to hear me asking, so how do you go about catching them all? But I mean, that's actually a really interesting point I could get into uh, real quick. Because how this is do the first you go Pokemon about game. catching them all? <laughs> so um, imagine you're playing Horizon Zero Dawn. And you are going through the bushes, and there are enemies around you. Yeah, big, big, uh, that at big any bushes. moment could, yeah, that at any moment could find you and just murder you on the spot, right? Yeah. Now imagine that, but more kid friendly and not nearly as pretty. And you have Legends Arceus. Okay. Um, so you're going through the bushes, and if you make one wrong turn uh, at any point, a Pokemon can actually attack you. Like the Pokemon in this game, because you're in the past, there is no. They, 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 they will attack you and they will knock you out. Um, which has happened to me more times than I'd like to admit. Um, so you have to like try and throw items that the Pokemon might like to get them to look away. Um, kind of like you throw a rock in Horizon Zero Dawn to get them to look away. Um, so you can either get past them 
or you can throw a Pokeball at them and catch them, right? Uh, all this towards the end of the game becomes meaningless because you get so powerful that it doesn't matter if somebody catches you. Uh, once you start riding on the uh, weird deer, the deer Pokemon, you can just start running around the map and it doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, but you, you, I still, even 40 hours in, I'm constantly stealthing around trying to get the jump on Pokemon because at this point, my goal in the game is just to grab the last 12 Pokemon I haven't gotten yet um, because this is the first Pokemon game that they've ever released where you can catch every single Pokemon that they introduced into that game. Uh, so there's a Pokemon, a Pokedex of 251 Pokemon or so, and you can catch every single one of them. You don't have to trade. There's no events. You just go out and you catch them. And it's been great, honestly. Um, there, there are some that I'm not like super looking forward to. There are a couple. I have a list of the last 10 that I need to get that are going to be a little bit of a grind and just waiting for it to happen. But mm. yeah, the, the entire point is that you can either just catch the sneak on them and hit them from behind, and then you get a bonus to catching. Or you can get into a battle like normal Pokemon games. And Pokemon battles are completely different than what they used to be, and I don't like them. Or I don't like them as much. So, got, I was just about to ask about battles and combat, so go on. Yeah, so Pokemon battles traditionally are one-on-one, or two-on-two, or maybe one-on-two sometimes, Pokemon battles, uh, in which... Your Pokemon has a speed stat that determines its place in the turn order, right? So if there are two Pokemon out, the one with the higher speed stat goes first. That's typically how it goes. Uh, in Legends Arceus, it follows that pretty loosely, except your speed stat determines the next time that you get a turn, um, which sounds the same. But in reality, you can occasionally get uh, back-to-back moves, um, and you can attack twice in a row. Which sounds really interesting and gives this very depth to it. Mm. Um, and it and it does sometimes. The biggest problem that I have, which is the newest innovation in the combat, is the strong and agile styles. Um, if you play your cards correctly, you can chain these together, and you can either, if you need just that extra like 20% damage boost or 25% damage boost to knock out this Pokemon, you can strong style and just knock it out in one hit. Or you can agile style and try to, at a lower cost of power, get another attack sooner. Um, th- the biggest problem with this is that anytime, if you were in one of like the 10 trainer battles in the game, okay. anytime that a trainer sends out a Pokemon, they always get to attack. Which means that they will always knock out what, before that you get a chance to do anything, uh, they will knock out whatever Pokemon you get, except at the very beginning of the battle. So let's say that I knock out uh, your Pokemon, right? You set out a Pokemon, and you get to do whatever you want first, which typically means that you can chain together agile and strong attacks to knock out my Pokemon. So essentially, the entire battle is just your one-for-one, right? I'm knocking out your Pokemon to knock out my Pokemon, and you might have one Pokemon that sticks around for an extra effect. Um, it, It feels like it's a really interesting idea, but there needs to be one or two tweaks to make it really, really solid. Um, the other main complaint I have about the battles is that if there are multiple Pokemon out in the world, like whenever you're just walking around that notice you, uh, sometimes you, and if you throw a Pokeball, like a Pokemon out to battle, sometimes you'll be four on one, right? And there's, even though moves hitting multiple Pokemon has been a thing in the series since double battles were introduced in Ruby and Sapphire, uh, there are no moves that hit more than one Pokemon at a time. 
So if you are ever in a battle with multiple Pokemon, you just have to target one down and hope that the other three or whatever, other two, don't target you down and kill your Pokemon before you get a chance to knock them out, right? Um, I, like I said, I do think that there is something here. I just think that in its current state, it isn't something that I really, really like. It, it I can like be refined. The, it feels like, yeah, there isn't strategy to it almost. They, they introduce strong and agile style as like a strategy that you can use to get the upper hand in battle. But in reality, it feels like I'm constantly being punished for doing one or the other, whereas my opponents are able to more properly utilize it. Hmm. Um, and that's really all I have to say about it. Like, it's fine. You're not battling super, super often. Like I said, there's like only like 10 or 12 trainer battles in the entire game, which was a nice change of pace for me because it was all about going out and catching them all, as it were. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's fine. So it's just not, I would just rather have the other one. The biggest question that I have for you is in what others have said and specifically the complaints that others have had as you are super duper high on this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get some of your thoughts. I think it all is kind of summed up in like the number one thing that you do when you want to see how a, a, a game did you, is you like you, you go on IG and you scroll to the bottom, you read that little summary paragraph. And mm-hmm. I think this puts into perfect um, context, the things that I've heard about this game that are on the negative side, of mm-hmm. course, IGN rated it at a seven, which by the way, this is why, scores are stupid right because people are acting like a seven is a two and seven yeah, they're acting and, like it's a failing grade yeah and seven is good but with flaws basically yeah which which i said my biggest flaw is the battle um and it says pokemon legends arceus is an ambitious revamp that successfully revolutionizes the defining pokemon experiences of catching and battling but unfortunately is set in a drab empty and at times tedious world. What are your thoughts on how well this open world is put together? Uh, so I think that I would slightly agree with the open world being kind of empty um, because outside of catching Pokemon and outside of the 94 side quests that there are in the game, there's really not much else to do outside of just catching them. Um, there's like mini like a mini game on each map that's that is it is is it kind of akin to say an assassin the, like the issues that i had with assassin's creed 3 where at a certain point it's like sure this game is open world and i'm going around and i'm doing things but like this doesn't feel as vibrant and full like as yeah. I want an open world to be and uh, right. at a certain point it's like why is it even open world yeah kind of um, because let me try to formulate my words here um, do you ever like try to formulate your words and then lose your train of thought entirely uh, <laughs> the the open world is an open world because people wanted it to be Breath of the Wild-like. And I think that I prefer how they handled it here 
as I would have opposed, I, I wouldn't have liked it to have been actually Breath of the Wild, where it's one continuous map, because I don't think that would have been as interesting to me. Um, the, the open world feeling empty is just a natural byproduct of what this game was trying to do. It was trying to be a new thing, and this is the first entry in the series. It's not going to be perfect. The, the open world feeling empty, however, I don't really feel that too, too much, because I have a plan in what I need to get done, right? My plan right now is I need to get these 10 or 12 Pokemon, so I'm kind of looking around and open, exploring it. But outside of that, there aren't there isn't really much of an incentive to explore. The most interesting thing that the game does are these uh, space-time distortions, and the game tells you when those happen, and it puts a giant sphere in the sky of where it's happening, and it shows you on your map where it is. Outside of that, you're really not incentivized to look around the, the world. There isn't, you're not going to find some like super secret hidden legendary Pokemon. Um, you're not going to find some giant alcove. Like everything is kind of shown on the map and you can kind of see most everything. Mm. Um, on the, on the topic. So, so yeah, it is a little bit empty. I will give, give it that on the topic of it being drab. I will also give it that as well because the, the game has almost two conflicting art styles happening. It tried to go for a gritty, almost realistic color palette in the world. Yeah. And like the landscape and the terrain and everything. And then try to do these like slightly more vibrant colors for the Pokemon because Pokemon have very vibrant colors. Um, because something about Pokemon that, uh, that's interesting is that you always want your Pokemon to be easily drawn by a child um, or you want any popular children's medium to be drawable by children because that's the best way that they're going to remember it. Um, so you use, you do that by having a specific color palette and by muting those colors and trying to also have the world around you muted. It's kind of, eh, it's kind of miss it sometimes. Yeah. Um, but even if exploring the world isn't great, um, a hundred percent, which sounds crazy to say if it's an open world game. Um, but even if it isn't a hundred percent super engrossing at all times, I have been able to take 40 hours into or 40 hours into it, 20 of which have been me flying around the open world, trying to catch Pokemon to fill out my Pokedex. Because at the end of the game, at the end of the day, this game is a completionist's dream game disguised as an open world game. Okay. I, I think if you go into it less of this is an open world game where I'm going to get super lost in it and I'm going to do everything and more of I'm going to have a bunch of things to do in a in five small sandboxes to do that in or five moderate to large size sandboxes to do that. In. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to play it and I'm going to really enjoy what's happening that way. I rather, I enjoy how that happens more than I enjoy how the um, open world aspect puts into it. Mm. Would I like it to be more open world? Absolutely. I'd love to be able to find more little things hidden here and there. Uh, and I look forward to it the next time they make this game because this game has sold really well. And all of my friends, most of which have been like, I haven't liked Pokemon since like black and white have all been like, wow, this game has been a lot of fun. Um, I don't, it's not going to go up in the hallmark as one of the greatest games of all times, but it is a fun game. And I do think it is worth the time to put into it. Do you think that this game is primed for, um, and we just used this, um, this wording last week, do you think that this game is sort of primed for an Assassin's Creed to Assassin's Creed 2 like glow up 
where the second time they do this, once they really have it down, this could mm-hmm. be like life changing and really something special. Yeah, I really do think so. I think that whenever they figure out kind of more about what they want to do with this and how to listen to player feedback and figure out kind of what's gone wrong, I think will be, I think it'll be one of the greats. Mm-hmm. I will, I will go on the record to say that there's a very good foundation here. At times the world feels a little bit empty at times. The combat can be a little bit frustrating, but the Pokemon are the most alive they've ever looked in any game. The Pokemon feel like, creatures and not like assets that they've felt to me up until this point right you know because because i see them interacting with the world and how they're kind of just wandering around more openly and how instead of having a top-down view i have this over the shoulder view so i can actually relate to them on a more everything feels more personal Mm. and i think that's really my my favorite part of it plus you can have really big pokemon that's very funny is there anything else that you want to tell me about this game? Um, I think that I want to say that you would like it, but I'm hesitant to say that because the battling really does feel a little bit clunky. Mm. Um, I do think that overall this game is a fun thing to play it in. I am trying to complete it and 100% it, which is why I put 40 hours into it. If I just wanted to do the main uh, quest and not do any of the side quests or anything, it probably would have taken me 10 to 15 hours to beat. Right. Um, But I think 20 is about a good thing to be at. And overall, I do think that this game is fun. It has its flaws, but it is still a good experience. Um, Also, I like some of the new Pokemon designs that they didn't show off um, whenever they were previewing the game, which I always love. Um, which I somehow didn't get spoiled on. Uh, my favorite design that I've seen that they didn't show off is uh, one that it, that I didn't get spoiled for me, and I was so happy when I figured that out. It was it was such a breath of fresh air um, because I had like ninety percent of the rest of the game spoiled for me, but I, I made it on one, and I I'm so happy about that. Well, Raven, at the end of the day, is it fair to say that you do recommend this game? I do. I do really recommend this game. To anybody who's on the fence about it. I, I do caution people to not go into it thinking it's going to be the next Breath of the Wild or it's going to be the most engrossing open world game that there is. It is a game that you it, it's just a game that you want to do things in and hmm. see Pokemon in a new way that it hasn't been seen before. If you want to feel um, like even, you got in on the ground floor. Right. I, I, I do feel like this game will appeal to pretty much anybody for different reasons. And I think that playing it will let you know what you don't like about it, which sounds weird to say, but I think is an important part to say, because there's a lot of things that different people won't like. So I think it's important to recognize what people will like, um, which is more of the game. (laughs) If that makes sense. Well, Raven, while you're talking, tell the people where they can find us. Oh my God. I'm, I'm about to lose my voice, but you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at making fun pod you can find casey over on twitter and instagram at casey on camera and you can find me on twitter at Reba baby tv uh you can find us wherever you listen to all of your podcasts um speaking of which if you aren't subscribed make sure you click the subscribe button or whatever the button is on your on your listening medium uh we post weekly ish 
Um, but we do always strive to make you guys laugh and keep you guys informed, um, whoever you may be. Okay, Raven, thank you. I, I was uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry for the pause. I was, yeah, you stumbled onto something really good last week, and I can't remember what it was, but it was during this. Uh huh. Eh, who knows? Eh. Maybe you'll stumble onto it again next week when we maybe. talk. When um, maybe in the future, another huge acquisition happens somehow. We'll be bought by Microsoft next week. <laughs> hey, we talked hey, about Microsoft. it last time. We are available. We'll speak it into existence. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't have to be billions of dollars. I Microsoft. I'm down to talk for thousands. <laughs> I Just might be down up. to I might be down to talk for like hundreds and some free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Just let us know. We're we're cheap. We're very very cheap <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, we will talk to you next week and until then for Raven Stab Miller, my name is Casey Johnson. Do me a favor this week. Go out. Well, maybe don't go out. It's very icy out. But nevertheless, be find careful. a way to to brighten someone's day. Mhm.